Hey Scott, how are hey, you? Hey mate. Thank you so much for having my place. So, um, you know, speaking, speaking to a friend of yours, James, and a business partner in some things you're doing, your name came up and some really... In, in a good way, I hope. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> of course, of course. We only talk about good stuff. Um, and just really interesting conversations and I just told him, I was like, stop, I want to, I want to interview, you know, I want to interview Scott. I want to know more about what's going on. I want to hear it from himself. And, um, you know, we did, before we hit record here, we just thought we didn't even really chat too much about nah. life stuff. Like, and that's how I like to do it. So, uh, first of all, give me a short, brief introduction of where you're from, Kind of like what you're doing. I'm probably doing a few different businesses at the time, just like me. Yeah. But um, what kind? What's kind of your passion at the moment? And um, you know, any hobbies or anything? Just a brief description. Uh, well, I'm from Sydney, so I'm I'm up here uh, for work. So we just opened up um, a, a restaurant down the road. So we had the event last night. Um, I sort of operate in the kind of nutrition, health and cooking space. Uh, it's a bit of a unusual space in the sense that I'm a kind of um, jack of all trades and a master yeah. of none. So I'm, yeah. not a, I'm not a chef, but I can cook. Um, and I'm not a nutritionist, but I know a fair amount about nutrition. Uh, I was a PT for many, many a year. Um, so, you know, I've been lucky enough over the last few years to write a, a few books. Um, so I've written a number of cookbooks and a number of health books. But I guess, you know, if you were to boil down my message, it's simply to encourage Australians to eat more natural food and doing sort of becoming the custodian of your own health. And I believe you can only really do that if you're eating most of the food. Um, most of the food you're eating is made at home with real food, natural food and love. Um, so that's kind of what I do. And then from that, I've got a, a few different businesses. So I've got the restaurants, got the good place. You'll, you'll notice a theme in a second. So I've got the good place, uh, the good podcast, uh, the good feed, which is the ready meals business, and then I've got the good coach. So I've got a couple of online programs. One is one is actually coming out today, funnily enough. But. Awesome, amazing, amazing. Some things I took from that is like we're going to get along really well because yeah. you know you've been a personal trainer before. You're really interested in nutrition and not just nutrition like macros, but you're actually inter interested in the quality of food mm. because there was a big obsession over the last five, 10 years where everyone's like, oh, as long as you're in your calories, like mm. there's a lot of these guys online that are going viral saying, it doesn't matter, just stay in your calories, eat your macro, eat to your macro goals and you'll get results. And I just strongly disagree about that because we've both been in situations where you've eaten out and they might have macros and nutrients on there or probably not, but you're kind of saying, oh, I've got this time of meal, it looks pretty healthy. And then your stomach's in a bit of a bad place, place yeah. the next day. Also, you don't really know the quality of where the food's from. Usually, you know, a lot of restaurants, as the reason why you're so passionate about the good place, which I've actually eaten at, um, I had... You know, thank you so much for having me there. I had a oh, really pleasure. nice um, dinner with my fiance, my best mate, and uh, his girlfriend as well. And we had like a bit of a smorgasbord of really yeah. small, really tasteful, healthy but tasteful meals. Yeah. And um, I posted about it and uh, mentioned it to my friend's family, my mum as well. She's a naturopath and herbalist, and um, she's been into. She was a personal trainer when she was younger. She competed, and I told her like it's great to have a place that has healthy food that is actually healthy, but still tasty. Yeah. Because like... Well, you, you can have both. Like there's sort of this, it's a bit of a throwback from, you know, uh, probably a few decades ago where, you know, healthy food was probably 
plant-based, considered plant-based and considered sort of, you know, the likes of alfalfa sprouts and mung beans and a bit tasteless and not that alluring Stuff or appealing. Just scrape off your plate. Yeah. You know I mean? But I think we've kind of evolved from that uh, and now sort of I'm able to showcase the type of food that gets me excited through the restaurants and the ready meals. But it is possible to have a number of touch points with, with your nutrition. Like th- th- there's no sense in just eating for health's sake. It, you've got to, it's got to taste delicious first. You have to enjoy but, it. But it, it can be healthy and it can um, promote environmental health and it can inf- promote sort of animal welfare. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of, you know, to my point earlier about where I kind of sit in that nutrition, health and, and cooking space. Over the last sort of probably three years, well, for a long time, I've, I've talked about the provenance of food, um, food sovereignty, and it's really important to have that traceability to, to, to your point, know where your food is coming from. But probably I've drilled down a little bit in the last three years, and I wrote a book last year called The Sustainable Diet, and it's sort of dissecting and unpacking the current food system. So there's, there's, there's two major food systems. There's the sustainable um, food system, and then there's the sort of industrial food system. The industrial food system is a pretty grotesque version yeah. of farming. I'm sure we've yeah. all seen the images on Netflix and YouTube. It's pretty disgusting. And it's kind of how we got there is another story, but you know, it's factory farming, it's industrialized farming. There's, there's little consideration for the soil, the plant, the animal. Really GMO based. Really GMO based. And so what that's done, that's convinced and and quite rightly so, perhaps, for people to go more plant-based and probably agree that we should be eating less protein than we yeah. currently do. But I don't think that the solution to human health, environmental health and animal welfare necessarily is going vegan. I agree. It just comes down to choices. It comes down to supporting A, local, B, farmers and producers and suppliers who um, are doing all that they can for ecology, all that they can for um, the environment, all they can for animal husbandry. And so it's possible, I believe, that if you do that and you support regen farmers, sustainable farmers, that you can have all those touch points, human health, environmental health and animal welfare. I, I love it. I'm already excited about the talking more like... Uh I'm so pumped. I had to help. I had to hold back from speaking while you're speaking, and that's a practice I've been working more on when I'm yeah. doing interviews on my podcast because I get so excited. Because I would love to one day, if you ever back up here, and if you ever go towards Noosa region, yeah, I'd love you to go a bit further and uh, come out with me to my mum's place. She oh, has yeah. a sustainable style small farm there. Yeah, uh, she has a little greenhouse and she grows her own. Every morning we go out and we have a look. She's got pumpkins and vegetables and she's a naturopath and herbalist. So she's got the weed and herbs kind of thing going on. It tells me this here, you know, no one grows this and it's hard to grow, but this is good for your digestive system and your lungs and everything. This is good for this and that. And then we have cows and our neighbors and other, we've got, you know, eight or nine acres there. And then everyone's got some land across and we're all, we're all working with the neighbors to um, have our cows impregnate other cows mm. and you know using their grass when they have more grass and now we've got a sustainable amount of just for uh, my mom her husband and myself um, beef going around and then you know people who close farmers that we know who can get a hold of other types of meats we do trades with them and we sw- we swap 
ginger and turmeric with the local which, which is how you know back in the day like that's how you would have bartered it's how you would have traded you know what what you couldn't grow naturally yourself or didn't have the capacity or the room or the, the wherewithal you would barter you know your, yeah. na- your neighbor's got ginger and, and onions and garlics then you know you trade Mum's so passionate about it that, you know, at a younger age when she first started getting into it, I was just a young, you know, 16, 15 year old thug that was like, <laughs> I just want to party and, you know, hang out with my friends and skateboard and go to parties. And I didn't really understand that she was trying to teach me things at that, that young age. And now, like, I, I learned quite quickly. As soon as I hit about 19, 20, I like settled down a lot more and I, became, I started competing and whatnot. But I was like, oh, wow, all this stuff was some value. And I started sending her links and talking to her. And she's like, I've been telling you this your whole life. Mm. And uh, she always, I went, that was when I was in my second or third year of doing competitions, one of these really um, viral documentaries of like, um, you know, about how like uh, meat's bad for you came out. And um, I, I'm all about trying everything. And I decided, okay, this documentary really, really, like it was such a good documentary. They, they, they use so many smoke and mirrors in it that, that, that you know, you can have a conversation with anyone about vegan versus meat and I, there should never be that conversation because mm. it should be it should be natural sourced. Mm. Because That's you can right. go to a you can go to these vegan cafes 100%. and get vegan donuts yeah. and vegan that and it's full of sugar and yeah. all these different things. So <clears throat> when she always told me even I, I, I did vegan for about only lasted about five days. So what I can say <laughs> is like five minutes. What I can say is like the amount, of, and I had to eat a fair bit of protein and macros. So I was trying to put on size and maintain my size for a fitness competition. I was doing fitness modeling and went over to America for it. And uh, after a few days, I had so much digestive issues mm. and I was doing it pretty well. I was using different sprouts, as you were saying mm. before, and I was using lots of brown rice to add the protein and, um, you know, chickpeas and legumes and all these different things. And then my deteri- my energy and my health deteriorated and some people can work well on a vegan mm. diet, so I will never tell anyone that you know meat based or this. It shouldn't be an. It shouldn't be a question of no. You're absolutely right. Because no. at your restaurant, you have some meals that that are more on the vegan side, and you have some meals that have some meat, but it's got incredible fruit, uh, vegetables and yeah. salad involved yeah. in it. Like I remember eating just one of your salads with the pork belly. Yeah. And I was like, this is the best salad I've ever had, and I'm not really well, a salad I, I, guy. I, th- I think. I think you know if I had to define my my eating philosophy it's 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 i guess it's a plant-based diet so you know i always hero the salad and the veg um so every meal there's salad or veg or both and then it's just a case of choosing some form of ethical protein and sometimes there's not protein on the plate but um more often than not there is um so you're right i mean it doesn't the conversation gets polarized and it gets polarized particularly on social media because it's not it's not a platform for honest open informed discussion everyone sits on one end of the spectrum and there's nothing no one playing in the middle like life doesn't operate like that it's not black or white there's Mm. all this gray area and that's often where where the truth is somewhere in there but it's not easy to sit on the gray area because then you can't sell your plant-based program (laughs) you know i've got so many bodybuilders that I've either met over in um, America, like, you know, not friends with them, but seen them in a competition or whatnot, and they they go vegan or they've been vegan for a while, and everyone's like, oh my God, look how good they look. look you know, they're vegan. I'm like, they're also taking steroids. Yeah. So how natural is that? And yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with performance-enhancing drugs to better, if you're in competing in powerlifting, yeah. bodybuilding competition, like there's a lot of that. It's in Olympics, movie stars. I did a post on my Instagram 
it went a little bit viral. I had a lot of people ask me questions about it. I was saying that most influencers and uh, movie stars and athletes are all taking certain substances mm. because they would fall apart if they didn't because they're getting put under so much pressure and they want to they want their skin to look good and people think people know they're doing plastic surgery but what they don't understand is they're also taking growth hormone mm. and all these different substances because that side of things have been around in movies and athletes for a long time like the Lance Armstrong thing like mm. it all comes back like oh he's skinny how can he be taking the words you know the word steroids is thrown around so much but how can he be taking steroids or performance enhancing drugs if he's so skinny I was like, well his sports long distance riding mm. so you don't have to have, you don't have to look like just because no. the guy looks like a meathead so did that post and people were really like you know skeptical and asking questions about it and it, it comes back to the same thing there is no i'm not saying this everyone's doing this and everyone's not doing this i'm saying that there's a lot of people that may be vegan or maybe eat meat eater, but you're not asking other questions of what their other lifestyle is. Maybe they're training yeah. three times a day. Maybe they own their own business and their full-time job is they've got a nutritionist making the meals and like, of course, they're going to look better. Yeah. Does that mean that that diet's going to work for you? No. But what I like about the conversation that we're talking about and what got me so excited when I heard of your, yourself with James and what your philosophy is with your, you know, the good food and the good place and everything is that you're actually pulling the gray area together mm. and you're getting some common sense into people. Yeah, you you got to have that you got to have that um that next level of conversation. You got to have that um there's got to be some education around it and I and I hope that I am doing that and did that in my book. There's got to be you know to our point that at the moment there's such polarity. You're either a plant-based eater in which case you're vehemently opposed to, to meat and what it can cause to the, you know, yeah, your health and, and the environment. And obviously if there's a death of an animal, yeah, animal you yeah. can't, ultimately you can't get around that. No, no. But there's equally uh, death of sentient beings in a vegan plant-based diet. You know, clearance of land and, and um, forests and, and, and hedgerows and all that, there's, there's a consequence in harvesting crops as well. Yeah. There's, you know, ground dwelling birds, there's reptiles, there's snakes, all those, all that comes at a cost of, of crop harvest. So you, you can't, which whatever pathway you take, there's a, there's a death one way or the other. Um, so what we're trying to do with A Good Place, it's probably confusing for some people that, you know, we, we talk about sustainable, we talk about ethical, but yet we've got meat. Well, so, it is a, it is yes, a sustainable so ethical it, version. It, 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 yeah, that's right. It comes down to um, partnering up with the right people. Yeah. And those people, I, I had the pleasure of meeting uh, three farmers yesterday, went onto their property, m talked about their process, talked about their passion, and, and they're flying the flag for regen agriculture. So regen agriculture puts the, um, the onus on soil. And once you put the onus yeah, on soil and the land, then you're drawing carbon out in the atmosphere. You're sequestering carbon in the in the in the ground and the, in the soil. You're increasing biodiversity. The ability for that soil to retain moisture and, and water increases. So as soon as you've got increased biodiversity in the soil, you've got better plants. If those are the plants you're harvesting, it makes for better health. If those are the plants that are um, being fed to the animals, it makes for better health of the animals. And so it has a trickle effect. So all that all that time energy focus that you place in the soil ultimately feeds back to us but also helps the, the ecosystem and animal welfare so on one level people are somewhat confused 
I'm assuming, m maybe not, but I guess there is, there is that confusion about can you have an ethical business as a sustainable business yet have meat on the menu? But you can. It comes down to choices and it comes down with partnering up with the, right, with the right people. I, I was very lucky at a young age when I turned about 19, I was in, introduced to a supplement company that I worked with. It was a business and uh, their whole philosophy was on uh, giving me education that like, yes, supplement supplements are to supplement a good diet, but we, we, we were really pushed on super greens and fibers and stuff for mm. the stomach and some of the best results we've ever had just taking these things. But also they really pushed education on the reason why we need some of these things um, for most people. And these supplements are pointing towards people that eat just normal stuff at the groceries. And this is not even the people that just eat packet food. It's even people who are eating vegetables from Coles and Woolworths and whatnot and eating meat that's from Coles and Woolworths. And that's partic particularly what I do when I'm not getting the vegetables, herbs and the meats from my mum on the farm. And mm. I understand that that's a part of living. And for me to coach, and I coach a few clients online, for me to do that, I need to put myself in their shoes and not everyone has someone who has a mum or not, not yeah, everyone has someone yeah. who's in connection with farms and yeah. stuff like you are and if you're travelling. So what I got taught in the nutrition company is it's all about the soil and the problem is the companies that want to make the most money will keep using the soil until the soil has no nutrients and the yeah. soil is really where everything comes from. Yeah. People think, you know, if you get a really expensive seed for a plant, that seed's going to be good. It's like, well, yeah. what's the nutrients yeah. in what, this? What's its um, environment? Yeah, what's yeah. its food? Yeah, we, right. we are eating the food. What's the food's food? Yeah. And that's the soil, and then it goes down deep in that. And the problem is people are turning over soil so quickly, and they're not letting it, you know, you're meant to do a harvest and then move to a different spot and let that have the... And actually, having everyone who's eating uh, like a vegan diet, they're obsessed with having you know good nutrients in uh, uh, vegetables and fruit mm. and whatnot but they're not realizing that it takes the blood and bone from animals dying to create the nutrients in the soil mm. so mm. it's all once we all work together yeah. and as i love what you're saying before and i actually want to go into that a bit more more in depth a bit later in the conversation but about you know about that when a vegan person buys a heap of these um non-meat items that are trying mm. to be meat mm. you know the fake mm. chicken the fake mm. things that's really bad, the nutrients, and it's got 400 ingredients. Yeah. Like when you buy beef, it's got one ingredient, <laughs> yeah. good good beef, and then you buy this not beef, vegan beef, or not chicken, you see it, this not chicken, or the not bacon, for 200 ingredients. Yeah, it's, like, it's well, mind blowing. Just open your brains a little bit and think, what is all these things on your body? Do we, does our body recognize it? And then, even if you eat like proper um, vegetables and whatnot to be a vegan, you need to get your protein up somehow, so everyone's pushing towards this soy thing. And everyone, all the vegans are like, oh, I just have, you know, tofu and tempeh and everything. And what I say to them is like, so many animals are dying to try to produce this much soy. Sorry, yeah. Because it's like looking across at the first thing in front of you and just judging it, but not seeing what's behind it. Yeah. And that's the thing. And it's education. And I love what you're doing. And I love that you're in a point in your life where you're mature and you understand and because you're a business owner you're not just preaching it's easy to go online and preach or oh, how to be good health and how to get back to the environment but to be a business owner and still want to do it mm. and making oh look there's it, there's there's easier ways to do business mm. let me tell you like there's there's yeah. bigger profit margin there's easier supply chain going like the more sort of conventional yeah, route yeah. much easier it's harder to do what we're doing but i don't, I don't want to just create another business for the sake of great, like there's, 
there's arguably too many businesses out there anyway. Yeah, yeah. For us... Um, point of difference. Point of difference. Um, Your passion giving, about it. Giving back. So um, we, we endeavour and pledge to be not only carbon neutral but carbon negative. So we've set up this, again, here's the theme, the good forest. Oh. So with, with the, um, the good feed, so our ready meals business, every, every order online will plant a tree, every thousand orders will, will sequester 10,000 metric tons of carbon from the atmosphere. That's incredible. So it, it's, you know, you, you know, I've got two boys, I've got another one on the way. Like, Congratulations. It's, thank you very much. Uh, very unexpected, but excited. Yeah, yeah. Is anything expected in life? Uh, probably not. Um, the good things. And it's probably cliche to say, but you know, you, you want, I want my sons to inherit uh, a better, you know, uh, not, not just the status quo. I think we, 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 we've fucked the planet on many yeah. different levels. And now's the time for action. Like we've been, you know, I, I rem- I'm 44 and I remember A-levels in, in England when I was, what well, would have been, 17 or 18 or something, writing essays on climate, cr- the climate crisis, yeah. you know, greenhouse gas and all that. And fuck, that was, you know, what are we talking, like 30 years ago, you know, 25 years ago. And it's yeah. like, well, we haven't really, no. we've all been talking about it for a long time. But there's not much money in fixing it. Well, that's right. I think, I think it all pro- stems from we the, have the highest people that make the most money. Like, I won't go into any conspiracies, <laughs> yeah. but you look at the parliament, and I'm not pointing fingers at the parliament, but you're looking at the big companies that make the most money. This is the business yeah. that bad things. The top dog in whatever big business, like, we won't name, I'm not trying to speak badly of McDonald's or anything like that, but... The top dogs that own those companies, that own those franchises, they don't give a fuck about ethical. They're like, I've got a massive loan or I want to profit this much or now that people are realizing that this fast food is not as good for you, we're losing profits. So where do we try to get those profits from? Let's make it more cheaper beef, more cheaper, like the salad, the the lettuce you get on a burger in McDonald's is not the same lettuce you get in like your restaurant. And I'm telling you right now, like, it disgusts me when they try to say that's the the same. Like, but that, but that makes them doing that makes it very hard for someone like us, and we're not the only people trying to put out a good product. I mean, everyone tries to put out a good product. I'm not I'm not denying that, but that that just makes it very hard for us because it's a different price point, mm-hmm. and if people have an expectation of how much to pay for dish A, and now we're coming in, and it's so you have to have all this education around yeah, it. Yeah. You can't just present dish I A liked- and I like to know that if I'm going to pay a bit more, that's for a reason. Yeah. But I think if we just keep pushing education, which you are, like I'm so excited to check out your books and um, hopefully you have an audio of them maybe coming or if you have, do you have an audio book? No, I don't, no. That'd be good. Maybe you could hire someone to read it out. I know a lot of guys... <laughs> what are you know, saying? Well, you could do it, but it's quite time consuming if you don't. Oh, no, I, yeah, I'd imagine so. Um, I've heard of people that have. I think my, my voice is too nasally for. I think I irritate the fuck no, out. No, what I really liked at the start of the podcast is I was like, who's the famous English chef everyone knows? Jamie Oliver. I was like, we could just say you're Jamie Oliver. Because <laughs> it's similar, <laughs> obviously, Australians just saying all English people yeah. have a similar accent, but it made me laugh at the start. I'm like, oh, you're into cafes and chefing yeah. and you've got yeah. the same accent. It's just, yeah. It was really cool. I got this like moment. Well, we, ha- we, we, have, we share very similar. Yeah. Beginnings. He, his mum and dad ran pubs in London, and so did mine. But that's pretty much where we. Uh, he's incredibly yeah, yeah. successful, and I'm not. Well, <laughs> everyone's 
there's there's different timelines for everyone and and you know sometimes you see that these famous people these celebrities that are really killing it and doing so well and you hear them committing suicide or you hear mm. mental health problems it's like well what's success we've been talking to yeah. my friends about this because some of our mates own like a huge um, property company and he owns like three or four houses and whatever another one doesn't own a house it's like yeah but what's success everyone's on their yeah. own timeline yeah. there is no there is no perfect timing and, and thing for yeah, everything we, so. we, we can kind of get wrapped up in all that you know we, we all live in these sort of developed sophisticated societies and and you know we self-impose a lot of pressure and there's pressure from your friends and your family to social for media. this yeah social media for this perceived success and i've been wrestling with that a lot in the last couple of years and i think i'm my definition you know it's shifting it's no longer I, I used to think I've just got to do this and this, and then I get here. Happiness and when I get yeah. here, yeah, you know, then you're done. Yeah, you're done. Yeah. But th- this thing, this here, the holy, holy grail, it, it either keeps moving away from you, or, or it just never exists. You yeah. never get to that point, in which case you can just, you know, I'm happy, I'm content, I'm, I've got enough Fair money. Long. Yeah, mm. it, it constantly evades you. It constantly pulls away. Um, and so if that's the case, as soon as you understand that, then there needs to be a shift as to what success is to you. And to me, I'm coming to terms with the fact that it's okay to not have the riches. It's okay to have just enough to kind of put food on the table. If I've got um, a loved one, so my wife, yeah, yeah. and my kids are happy and clothed and have shelter it sounds very cliche that but this is where i am yeah it's yeah. where i am at the moment and it's like still doesn't stop me being very determined and, and ambitious and pursuing all the things that are important to me but once now i'm starting to and it's it's a journey it's not a switch that you can just flip but once i've stu- now i'm starting to shift the definition of of success you can kind of get rid of a lot of superficial shit um because that, that to me is a success, the, the richness that a family brings. Um, and so, good food. And good food, good yeah. Good company. Good company. Um, all having those. good ethics is now a big yeah. thing of me. Like 22-year-old me, I'm, I'm 20. I always forget my age. Um, my fiance, Alicia, <laughs> laughed at me yesterday. I was in the show and I yelled out, how, am I, how old am I? She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I think on my podcast I said I was turning 28 in January. She's like, no, you're turning 29. Yeah, you're 32. Oh, oh, I'm oh like, fuck. I'm like, oh, shit. I don't mind about age, but I'm like, I need to get my, my age right. I used to laugh when my mum would forget, like, she, I'd say, how old are you, mum? She's like, oh, I was born in this year. I'm like, no, no, the age. She's like, I don't know. Whatever yeah, work is. it out. Now I understand. Yeah. But the 22-year-old me would look at me now and be like, I don't even know you because yeah. I wanted the, you know, the M6. I wanted the BMW, the whatever, Lamborghini, Ferrari. I had the pictures of cars on my wall when I was younger, and we grew up with not much. So I always... One of the thing, and you know, I had after my motorbike accident, I was like, maybe buying the car. Is that the the back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, after that, I was like, it brought me down to that. The ego was revealed, and I've done some plant medicine and, and stuff like that that we could discuss in another podcast. But I've stripped down some of that ego and that superficial stuff, and it's so awesome hearing that from you because one thing I'm really scared of is uh, we're planning to have a kid in a few years, uh, myself and Alicia. Right. I think that once you have a kid, I think the pressure of being more successful is even harder. Is there, was there a shift when you had the first kid? Like, how old were you when you had your first uh, kid? 32. I'm so happy hearing that because I'm only, you know, yeah. 29 soon. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, 
well, with one more on the way, I'm, I'm probably a, an older father, that's for sure. Yeah, but, but you're young at the heart and you look great for your age. I oh, wouldn't thanks, have guessed mate. your age. What, how old did you say you were? 44. I wouldn't have guessed you were that old. 43. <laughs> 41. <laughs> no, I mean, like, you look great. You're in shape. Um, I see people's eyes as well. Like, you've got clear, healthy eyes. That's mm. the first thing I see. I can see if someone's yeah. got some type of addiction. It doesn't even have to be a drug addiction, but their addiction to something. Like mm. they're, they're always drawn away. You know, the black rings under the eyes and I've struggled that with overworking and trying to spend all my time on my laptop and trying to hustle for more than what your energy can do each day. Yeah. And you realize that your day-to-day health, you're going to get so much quality done in one day Yeah. and learning how to dispense that. Well, well I actually got, um, uh, I actually got, the last couple of years I've, I've carried this burden of, you know, what, what I was just talking about, what we're talking about, um, this notion of what success is. And for me, that was, I've got to, I've got to make enough money to support my family. And the last couple of years, I've probably, in my mind, failed at that. So I've self-imposed all this guilt, shame, pressure, and it resulted in me getting pretty sick. Um, earlier this year, I ended up in hospital for for nearly a week with shingles and the only the root cause of shingles is stress, stress. yeah my mum got it when i was young yeah she was putting right. this pressure on herself about yeah. raising kids yeah know? horrendous so that was a bit of a a reality check and it was like okay well i do i i eat well and i re- exercise regularly and i you know I, I take supplements when i need to and you know i do all you know out of the pillars of health you i do it. But there was it. one that I that I don't pay enough attention to, and that was my, my mental health. That was the, the, the pressure and, that I was putting on myself. So I've kind of reassessed that, and as I was saying, that that's the kind of journey that I'm now on to kind of redefine what success is. And I can see where I'm going to end up, and I'm quite excited about that because yes. it, just, it just relieves you of that. And that long-term goal isn't really a dollar figure anymore. No. It's more of a freedom thing. Yeah. But a healthy freedom. Yeah, that's so, right. You know, a CEO of a really busy business that has worked his butt off for like 10 years or even five years or even two years, you can do a lot in two years if you just like fall like just all in every day, 20 hours a day, yeah. sleep for four hours. But when you become, when you hit that number figure, some people it's like six figures, whatever, million, whatever yeah. it is, when you reach that number and then you're like, okay, now we can have a whole year off and all the family and wife or whatever it is, what? But then you're in hospital because you're sick like that. Yeah. Yours, and your shingles is, people don't understand like something like shingles, there's different levels and people recover in their own time, but it's so hard. There's no pill to take. It's mm. like, hey, do less. And you're like, no, no, but I've got to keep doing more. I've got to hustle because i got two kids. Yeah. And I've got to do more and more. And yeah. It's like, well, you're not going to, even if you do. I, I, I think it was a necessary evil. Like it, yeah. it was without that slap in the face, um, I probably wouldn't have been able to reset. My, my wife brought me in a book while I was in the hospital and it was The, the Art of Rest. Amazing. Yeah, so it's like the 12 things that you can do to foster rest and, and you know, she was pretty much saying, I, you I know, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, I'll forward it on to you. <laughs> just saying, you know, just fucking, it's okay. You know, as long as you're trying, um, as long as you're dipping in every day, which, you know, clearly we both do, that that's yeah. enough. Um, it's counterintuitive for your mind and your, and your body to, to dip in too much and too often because you go in a downward spiral yeah, and then you're yeah. no good to anyone. I want to I hear about your back because I, I, yeah, yeah. my back is kind of, 
the segue into the health and fitness industry for me, yeah, yeah. and we can talk about that. But um, so you had a motorbike accident. Before we before we discuss the back stuff, because yeah. I'm interviewing you for this, <laughs> we'll discuss the back stuff on your um, podcast okay. um, the next episode. But two little things for not just little things, but I want to speak about this another fifteen minutes. So I want to go back to when you were young. Like I've always mm. loved to hear someone like yourself that's been through a journey of like owning business and usually is an overachiever for some time, especially getting shingles. And it's probably still have days where you're like, I'm putting too much in and not getting mm. enough rest back. Mm. It usually relates to some type of thing when you're younger and what, you know, I want to know like, where were you born? How was it like when you were growing up? What was your relationship with like your parents? And- yeah, it's a great question actually. Um, I was born in North London, uh, in Camden town. My mum and dad ran pubs for, 40 years pretty much in and around London so grew up in London till about five and then moved to a place called Bedford which is just north of London Um, so pretty much until the day I flew here give or take a few years at uni I I lived in a pub Um, so that that came with a few um, came with a few things one being was, there were busy pubs, there were food-focused pubs, so I was always around fresh produce. Yeah. And I can see now where I've landed yeah. professionally has a, has a, you know, it's reminiscent of, of my childhood. So I was always around fresh produce um, and I was always around the kitchen. They were busy, so if I wanted something to eat, I'd have to jump in and make it myself yeah, or yeah. wait with all the other customers and yeah. I was too impatient for that. But the other thing, and, I, and I'm learning this, through discussions with my psychologist is that I had very little surveillance. I had so much freedom, yeah. which you might argue is a great thing. Too much of anything is bad. Yeah. And so... Especially it, in it, London. <laughs> it actually, yeah, it's, it's left me with no... Well, it can go one or two ways. And my sister went down one path and, and um, perhaps I've gone down another, but... And we both had the same existence, you know, upbringing, childhood. But but no surveillance and no and a lot of freedom gives you no boundaries, mm. and which is unhealthy, I think. And so I'm I'm mirroring that with my with my son. So I'm not the dis- disciplinarian. Yeah, like that's yeah. a hard word. Well, um, if you don't give it, you don't need to say it. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. So <laughs> that's right. Um, and so my wife, my wife now comes in as a stepmom and is like, "No, you've got to, you've got to pull him up on that stuff." Yeah. I'm like, no, he's alright. He's alright. I ended up okay. Yeah, <laughs> but, but now that we've now we've got boundaries around certain things, like it just it just works a lot better. Yeah. Um, so I guess you know I'm learning that having no surveillance as a kid because I didn't I didn't necessarily get what I needed. I knew my mum and dad were there. They were downstairs. They were working. They were busy. But yeah, were they really there? Their goal was to provide the income. That's right. It's hard to get by in London. Yeah, that was the era where it was really like you know now it's nearly non-affordable to live there. But there's different. There's online. There's you can become marketing. You can kind of live outside. There's a lot of different ways to have money. Make money, yeah. But back then it was kind of like shop business. Yeah. Make it or kind of or live underneath what people else are living. Become the you know close to poverty. What was, what was it like for you being in London? Did you were you did you do your teens in London around London or in? No, I, I I did my teens in Bedford, which is about an hour fifty minutes north yeah. of London. 
still similar kind of attitude and similar trends and stuff in there, partying uh, and... Uh, uh, I was a pretty late developer um, in regards to like partying and stuff. I was actually introduced to alcohol, that's not surprising, living in a pub at a very young age. So it, which, wasn't, this, it wasn't this thing that you couldn't get to that was Yeah, alluring. Yeah. You'd see these drunks falling over and you'd be like, so, oh, so I understand. Yeah, so at 16, I remember my girlfriend at the time and all her friends and peers were just heading down to the park and getting smashed on bottles of Thunderbird. I don't even know whether you have... Wine. Yeah, shit wine. Sacks. Yeah, and um, whiskey. And, and I never, have, never had the impulse to do that because my dad was giving me beer. Quality. Yeah, nice beer. In a um, nice warm house. Yeah, from like <laughs> warm 13 pub. probably. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't this sacred item that you couldn't get to? No. So I didn't have that binging around that sort of 15, 16, 17. But in retrospect, it gave me a bit of an appetite for alcohol. Yeah. So, you know, and it was so easy and so accustomed. You know, my dad was a heavy drinker. If I wanted to speak to my dad, invariably it was at the bar. He's standing behind it. I'm at it. So what are you going to do? You're going to have a, a drink. You're going to order a That's drink. A it was so. It yeah. was just such um, that landscape. It was not. It was the currency. It was the social meeting. It was. It was everything. So in saying that, I didn't binge in those sort of mid-teens. I did drink probably heavily in my early twenties, mid twenties, until kind of my late twenties. Um, and now I. I still do drink. It's pretty infrequent, and when I do, casually, it's I'm done it too. But the two that I have, I know exactly what I want. Yeah. I won't just drink. Anything. And, you know, I like a particular drink because yeah. I know I'm exactly. only gonna. Yeah, I know I'm gonna have two. Um, and I and I and I realise now at at 44 that the reason why I was drinking was because I was in an environment be it a pub or a nightclub that I didn't really want to be in because I'm naturally quite um, introvert or shy. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm more extrovert now than I was back then. Oh, wow. So you're kind of in this environment and you feel so uncomfortable. Anxiety feeling. So you, so you drink faster. So you drink faster, you drink more, so you can... So you're around, you like can, similar to your environment. So you can settle numb in. Numb it down a bit. Numb it down, exactly right. And then, and then you're not the real self anyway because you're six pints in or no one's themselves yeah that's right they're the worst version it took me it took me a long time to realize that if you don't go to a pub you're not you're not anxious you don't have to contend with that by drinking so i started to remove myself from from that kind of um yeah those places really and i haven't been in a pub for for years it's not to say that i don't enjoy a glass of wine i'll have a glass of wine at home with my wife or you know, we had an media event last night, so I capped off the evening with a nice Negroni. Um, so it's not that I, it's taboo for me, but I, but I also know that after two, things don't get any better. No. Like the one drink is nice to kind of... And then how do you feel when you drink a heap the day after as well? Like yeah. You've ruined the day after. Yeah, that's you're, right. You're a family man, and even before you were a family man, you were trying to be successful. And, yeah. You know, you seem like you're very similar to me, that like weekends are still work. Yeah, yeah, like you're, yeah. You're up here from sitting through the week, but then a weekend you got to go back meetings, stuff yeah. going on. It never really stops, so it's like why waste to have three kind of good 
random chats, blurry <laughs> chats where everyone's just, their ego's talking. Yeah. You can kind of be yourself, but it's not really yourself. It's like your action figure hero that's coming out. Um, yeah. But the cape's all ripped up. Yeah, a bit dirty. Then, yeah, it's a bit dirty. And you dragged in the mud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of don't really, you like don't really, you're not really respecting of the person you were the night before. And then that whole day, you kind of wasted it. Yeah, I mean, there is something for me, and it's probably different for everyone, there is something for me just to take the edge off my inhibitions. And that, that can be one drink because it puts you in, it puts me in a different It might be even space. a slight placebo as well. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, I think, because, you know, we're, some of Up us are, gu- are guarded. Yeah, we want to put out this kind of image that, you know, we're all sort of a different person in different environments with different people. But I think that one drink for me sort of removes that and allows me just to, and the same, you know, I've, I've done mushrooms, I know you sort of alluded to that. Yeah. And, and, and those in the right dosage elicit the same yeah. outcome, is that it just takes the edge off, yeah. that your inhibitions are lowered. And so you could probably plug into more who you are yeah, yeah. and who, who you, how you operate with that person or in that environment. Um, and that's obviously all dose dependent and the same, same applies to alcohol or any drug really. The more mushrooms they have, the more inward you become anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, there's a fine line. It there definitely <laughs> is. And I think that's the problem with um, alcohol. It's like, I believe alcohol should be on the same kind of system as uh, most other drugs. And um, I'm not a fan of people abusing drugs and using certain things to um, get away from their life as an escape. But there's so much, like in America, there's states that have legalized psilocybin, which is the magic mushrooms, and like using MDMA for depression clients in places in Europe and in America, and the doctors and psychologists are having great results. And what we have to understand is because alcohol in Australia, and we, Australia is like the baby version of England in a way, because we were kind of like, you know, you guys came over here and we had people going to the jail in Tasmania and they moved up here. Well, I say that we're just like the, the rough... The, that's the abridged version. This is the rough version. That's a quick little, there you go, and here's the storybook for your kids. Yeah. Uh, we're like the rough um, criminals of England. Obviously, there's so much multi-countries like countries that have come here and there's different civilization, etc. But alcohol is, uh, is very strange and because mm. it's legal in Australia and it's similar to... I've got friends in England and London, they say it's pretty similar, like... It's just abused mm. way too much. Mm. And because it's legal, you can have a few pints of beer between work and you can even have a beer at work in some places and it's perfectly fine. But if you were to get up and half, half a pill of MDMA, everyone's like, oh, this is illegal. No. And of course, like, I'm not saying that's better. I'm not saying that's great. But I think there needs to be, people need to become a lot more aware that alcohol is poison and is a drug, is yeah. a legit drug. Oh, well, there's more antisocial problems, more health problems, more, you know, fill in the blank as a result of alcohol in our society. More deaths than alcohol than probably anything yeah. else. Um, so it, it's institutionalised. It's it's part of the fabric of Australia as it is England, but that doesn't mean to say that it's right or um, healthy or, you know, it causes so much, so many issues within our society, but because it's the way that many of us socialise yeah. yeah. and deal with our stress and... Um, somebody was saying during COVID because more men were at home and not going to work that there was more drinking 
and as a consequence, more domestic violence. Definitely, you know? the percentages are up. I think Joe Rogan even said on his podcast right. that there was more alcohol being purchased with the pubs closed total right. than if the, if the pubs were open. Yeah, and right. he was like, and the guy in the interview was like, what do you mean? Like, does don't pubs buy like massive gallons of beer and whatnot? And he's like, still more. Yeah. He said that he lives up in Hollywood Hills or something like that. Joe Rogan's in some, probably he doesn't disclose any of that information, but he's up in LA somewhere, yeah. somewhere nice. And he said that his neighbors are just drunk at lunchtime, successful people that he knows because yeah. they've got nothing to do because they yeah. don't really work face to face related. Yeah. They're just pissed all the time, he said. Yeah. And I'm like, it was just a bit of an eye opener. But, but it's, it's, it's because it's normalized. It's okay. It's, it's my, my dad, as I said, he ran pubs for 40 years and um, that all good. If you just do that. Sweet, yeah, <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, your, your dad was yeah, that was pubs. my dad. Oh, that yeah, was no, dad. no, no, he's dead. He's dead. <laughs> he knows. Um, no, but he he was running pubs and, and and he was like me in the sense that he was quite introvert. But of course, you're behind a bar. You've got a sea of faces looking in. He wears his mask at work. Well, yeah, and it, and to wear the mask, he he tended to drink, which was all very normal and when he died in 2005 my sister and I or my sister mentioned to my mum that she used the word alcoholic and my mum was just like floored like what are you talking how dare you yeah. Scott Michelle said that our dad's you know your dad's an alcoholic I'm like yeah mum he was an alcoholic no an alcoholic someone who drinks out of a paper bag on a bench we're, we're successful, we own businesses. Yeah, I was like, yeah, no, you're probably right, that is a version of an alcoholic. But Dad drank every day yeah. and depended on alcohol for, for relaxation. relaxation, for moments of sadness, happiness, celebration, Social. fill in the blanks, you know what I mean? Work. Like, he'd, rock, he'd have a um, port and brandy. Port and brandy was his, like, you know, medicine for ill health it was his medicine for confidence you know if he had an interview or a stressful yeah. meeting he'd have a port and brandy yeah. whenever i got sick he'd be like there you go that's what you need you're like <laughs> oh strange. yeah okay yeah you had a sore throat or a you know sinus thing it'd be port and brandy um and that that was his thing but it's like because it was in this pub environment it was alcohol's this um, accepted drug mm. and his frequency of drinking wasn't alarming to anyone particularly him which was the alarming thing it's everything just you know, carries because, along as normal I it, think because of his workspace and your mum's and obviously she would have had some involvement as well managing things when needs mm. to be and you sort of send people who are uncontrollably drunk like falling over and fighting oh, yeah. so they're the alcoholics that's right but, and I oh, agree, he, was, he was, you know, I mean, it, it would be hard pushed to tell if he'd had a drink or not. Because he was just so functional. Oh, yeah. Like, there were times where he'd had too many and uh, you could tell. But, you know, he, he could have several gin and tonics or a bottle of wine and, and be straight as a die, cognizant, yeah. Yeah. succinct, you know, or pleasant. Exactly. Like, his mood hadn't, you know, he's not staggering behind the bar. Um, so I guess it, you know. What was a time through you lot, through your life that you felt was one of the, even your younger years, like what was the turning point? What was the rock bottom for you? Mm. Like mm. when you moved or when, you know, what was a tough time for you that was uh, rock bottom that made you kind of 
change? Uh, rock bottom for me was sort of a period around, well, t- two really. There was one in 2005, so I, I injured my back. Um, so up until 2005, for you know, 29 years of my life, I was the fit guy, the sporty guy. Um, even if you didn't know me personally, you probably would have seen me around running around or swimming or biking or at the gym or whatever. I was that, that was my identity. Yeah. And then that got sort of rudely interrupted when I, when I did my back and I spent the next seven years um, in pain and discomfort and depressed for a lot of that loss of identity, reinventing that, reconciling with all that. Uh, and that kind of got me on on this path of nutrition, really, because I was trying to fix myself in a mechanical way. So I, to me, with an exercise science background, I could see on the scans that I had a mechanical injury. So my logic went, right, I need a mechanical intervention. Instead of not living with your fuel. Yeah, that's right. So I was physio, you know, manipulation, acupuncture, massage, all that, stretching, all that, not, not discounting that. It has, its, it has its worth for sure. But like in the eighth year, I was like, fuck, there's got to be something else. There's got to be another solution. What am I not paying attention to? And then I started to notice foods that were, you know, read about foods that were inflammatory and anti-inflammatory. And so at that point, I was like, well, I've got nothing left to lose. So I systematically started eliminating foods and embracing um, others. And the change was quite radical. So it didn't, it didn't happen overnight, but definitely weeks, certainly months. And within about a, a year, I was doing more physically, like in the gym or exercising than I'd done for like the last seven years. And so it kept improving. And as a consequence, I, the old Scott came back in because I, I, you know, if I didn't have my son, then there were moments I possibly could have checked out. So yeah. I, I, I don't want this for me. I don't, this isn't the life that Going I wanted. Being that superstar guy that everyone knows, like, you know, this is probably down in Sydney. Yeah. You know, it's very sporty. It's very healthy beach run. Well, I was, I was, I was a pretty much the, the, the timing worked out that as I qualified as a PT, um, I injured my back. I had to rethink what I was doing for a career, so I, I qualified as a PT. So while I'm dealing with this injury, I'm instructing and prescribing yeah. exercise I can't even fucking do myself. Yeah. Like I would hate when a new client would go, oh, do you mind telling me how to squat? Or showing so me how to yeah, do yeah. like, Just a squat, yeah, yeah. like, or a push-up, because that would just be enough to put yeah. me out for a few days, yeah, which yeah. is crazy. So I was... I felt like a fraud, I felt like an imposter. Mm. I couldn't do what I was instructing people to do. So that was a pretty low point and then had a marriage breakup. So th- there's, there's been a few, but I'd say probably, I mean, those two in combination weren't, weren't pretty, but it was probably the back. But by the same token, as, as you got you where you are hard now. as it was, I, I wouldn't change anything for the world yeah. because it, it gave me an, an insight um, into food being therapeutic, th- food being medicinal, and it, it took me on this journey, which has been not only a, a journey of sort of self-discovery, but a professional journey. Yeah, yeah. And I probably wouldn't have got there any other way. 
I totally believe that and I'm so stoked to hear that because we've got a lot to talk about on your podcast after this because I've got a pretty similar journey right. um, and identity issues from having injury and going from like top fitness model in Australia, right. national, third in nationals twice or three times in a row, dealing with the back injury and then having it to the point where it stopped me from actually being able mm. to move properly and the same mm. thing, I'm PTing the whole time, personal training clients and mm. then I'm demonstrating exercises and I know that it's bringing me back a few days every time yeah. I do it and you know, the identity issue and but um, everything just leads you to be a stronger person. So, yeah. oh man, I'm so stoked. What was the name of your book? Uh, well, I've done or a few books. Nine, yeah. Holy. So there's yeah. six that are in the Clean Living series, and then there's the Keto Diet, the Keto Diet Cookbook, and my last book is the Sustainable Diet. Awesome. So the last book's the Sustainable Diet. Yep. Each time you're writing these books and spending through that time, is there that time where you're like just fully engaged and just get it all done one go or you do you, do you take? Uh, not anymore. So there have been books that I, you know, I'll go to the library, um, you know, I'll have my, my, my mushrooms and my coffee and I'll, you know, I'll have a large productive window. But those days have gone. I've got a one-year-old. Lots of uh, sitting as well. That's not good for your back. Oh, my back's actually. I can touch wood. Touch wood. Where's the wood? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the back's fine. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I don't have the luxury of, of sitting at a desk for five, six hours, and probably at the moment because that's a muscle that you need to work. I, my productivity. I probably couldn't do five or six yeah. hours at the moment because I just don't do it anymore because my work's you know, fragmented because I'm yeah. with a bub and, um, and so writing this book, it's a bit sort of, I just write whenever I can. So whether that's, you know, on a plane like I did yesterday or, you know, grab an hour or two while he's asleep, you just got to make it work. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting when I read it all back, whether there's fucking any continuity because I just grabbed yeah. like a paragraph here and there. But They do believe that the first 90 minutes of your workflow is the most quality part. Yeah. So you're probably grabbing just 90 minutes when you can. Yeah. So it might be just the top one magical. And <laughs> yeah. Remember all the books you've wrote from, from the start, you're probably putting little bits of your favorite bits that that lie underneath your truths from those yeah. into this one. And it's like each book's probably just mastering the art of uh, telling a story plus yeah. giving information. Yeah. And that's what I really engage into and I'm, I'm absolutely excited to check out your book and um, hopefully you get some audio books done because I'm... <laughs> Maybe uh, you can do them for me. Yeah, no, <laughs> I think your voice would much more resonate. I wouldn't be able to stand or sit for that long and read. Yeah, but but... Um, I'm, yeah, I'm really interested in, in reading them and checking them out and um, I'll do a review on my Instagram one day and, and I'm, oh, I love it. it. Some of those books mention some of your back injury. Yeah, they all do. Good, because the story is so important. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, mate. Good on you, mate. Cheers. I really Thanks, appreciate legend. it. Have yeah. a good one. You take care.